Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Talia Vacassis. And I'm Kim France. Today, we have the incredible news anchor and radio host, Allison Stewart. Allison has reported for all the major national news networks and anchored her own groundbreaking and successful news programs on NPR, PBS, ABC, and MSNBC. And the fun thing about her is that she got her start at MTV, where she started as an assistant and then reported and produced MTV's political coverage. And she won a Peabody Award for that. She's written two books, First Class, The Legacy of Dunbar, America's First Black Public High School, and Junk, Digging Through America's Love Affair with Stuff. And currently, she is the host of WNYC's All of It. Hi, Allison. Hi, how are you? When did you realize you wanted to be a journalist? Was there a moment for you? The moment that I fully remember was college. Hmm. And I worked at my college radio station for all four years. And I think the first, it was the second stop I made when I got to Brown was I dropped my stuff at my dorm. My second stop was WBRU 95.5, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, because I grew up in a very small town with not a lot of assets in the high school. You know, we had one Spanish teacher and one French teacher and one gym teacher. And then when I got to college, I was meeting people who had, you know, full-blown television stations at their schools. And yeah. I thought, you know, the one thing that might be a level playing field for someone like me coming from tiny town, New Jersey would be the radio station. Mm-hmm. I really thought that. I was like, oh, I, maybe I can get my foot in the door here. And so that was sort of the first conscious moment of it. Did you have role models or someone whose career you looked up to? I really looked up to Barbara Walters. I knew you were going to say Barbara Walters somehow. I have an interesting reason, though. She was in my mother's class at Sarah Lawrence. Oh. oh. And my mom used to say... She would see that's Barbara. 
Barbara had worked very hard for where she got. Barbara fought for everything she got. She used to say that a lot. And she used to tell me that Barbara's lisp was really bad hmm. and said that it's, it's a miracle that she became a newscaster. My mommy said that was just really hard work. She was the most tenacious person. And if you want to do something like that, you just have to work really, really hard. Just know that. She was just making sure I understood that. So huh. I looked up to her. Um, I looked up to a family friend who had a show in New York called Positively Black in the early 70s, which was very much a groovy cultural affairs program about black culture in New York. And I thought that was really cool. And I always loved Ed Bradley. I thought he was just the coolest too. Mm -hmm. He was the coolest. Yeah. And you've also had a really varied career, which I love. Like you've done radio, you've done TV, you've done books, which I also related to because I have not, my career has not followed a straight line. Um, what is the through line for you? I think the through line for me is I take jobs or I pursue opportunities that somewhat match where I am in life. Hmm. And what so, does that mean? so that means when I was young and single, I was a reporter globetrotting because hmm. I could just drop anything and go to Africa. I could drop anything, go to Cuba. I could drop anything and jump on a campaign bus. You know, the job I have now which is a daily two-hour live radio show, allows me to be home with my kid while he still likes me during mm -hmm. these years and also have my eyeballs on him during middle school, beginning of high school years. You know, this, these are times when I think it's important for me anyway to be around people. Everybody has their different thresholds and different times in their lives, what fits for them. But for me, I was like, you know, what? I really want to be around him right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the jobs have sort of matched where I was. When I was writing my books, I had kind of stopped doing most radio and television media because I'd had a child. I had sick parents. I needed to be able to make my own schedule. So mm -hmm. that fit my life at that moment. And I've also very rarely, it has happened, but very rarely taken a job because of money. I did that once or twice early in my career, and I vowed I would never do it again just because of money. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're lucky to be able to do that. Yeah, I really have to feel it. Right. That's an important thing to know about yourself. Yeah. Well, see, I think also, and you've been a guy who's been around this enough to know that when people aren't who they <laughs> tell the outside world they are, it's crazy. It's it's for crazy making. Yeah. What do you mean? You mean the people who hire you? I think people who have those two different personalities, like they're on screen, this is who I am to the outside world, but this is who I really am. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, the people who I've met like that are, are so unhappy, are so twisted up inside, as opposed to just being the authentically yourself. And maybe that doesn't mean you're going to get the biggest job in the world, but you might get the job that's right for you or the job that's going to make you happy or the job where you can make a contribution in the best way. Right. Mm -hmm. How have you stayed authentically yourself, do you think? I think by not just deciding it didn't matter what the outside chatter said. Because when I went from MTV to the networks, I was like, uh, you know, a three-headed unicorn to them. <laughs> mm -hmm. They did not know what to do with me. And for a little while, I tried to to please and tried to professionally please and, you know, sort of straighten my hair and now I'm going to wear a jacket and I'll try to do all the things I'm supposed to do to be a good news, little news anchor. And 
it didn't work and then my work suffered for it. Well, it seems like there's a very narrow description of what a newscaster is. Yeah. It, very, it, ha- it is narrow. It's, it's widened quite a bit in the past 20 years. But when I made the jump, it was, it was so narrow for women. So narrow. Mm. Um, so I think that experience of trying to do it, sort of failing to be able to fit into the quote unquote norm made me realize like, what are you doing? Like, this is going to be a miserable life. <laughs> you know, I kind of learned the lesson early. So maybe that's how I just learned it early. I think also if it to be a deeper answer is I grew up in um, a predominantly white town, one of the only black families. And, you know, I just knew what it was like to be an outsider from the early on. We had lots of talks about people are going to make assumptions and people are going to think things about you, which aren't true just based on the color of your skin or mom's skin or dad's skin. And don't worry about that. You just be yourself, do your thing, work your hardest, be honest, all the good stuff that parents teach you. Hmm. So I think I had that drilled into me pretty early on, Hmm. which really helped me on later in life. You mentioned some of your failures. Can you talk about some of those? Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) When I left MTV to go to CBS, I was, I failed hugely in the first year and a half. I couldn't get them to accept me as a serious reporter. I went from you know, literally interviewing presidential candidates to when I got to CBS for the first year, they gave me dogs and kids. No. I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. So they wanted you from MTV because they wanted something that was like young and hip and cool, but then they didn't know what to do with you. Yeah. And then they were like, not that. <laughs> not that. Yeah, I can remember going in and pitching these two young guys who are starting this cartoon empire. It's really interesting satire. It's called South Park. And them just looking at me like I had five heads. They really were like, why would we do this? What is this? What is this you bringing us? You know, mm-hmm. so it was stuff like that happened a lot. But my failure was I didn't rise above it in the first year. I acted out. I sort of behave like the brat they thought I was. Mm-hmm. And it was a real interesting lesson. And it made me really realize, you know, if you see somebody acting out, they may be having a problem. They're not just acting out. I was having a huge identity problems because I went from being the MVP to just being the stinky cheese. And right. I didn't even want to do with that. It was just, I, I never had had that experience before. So how did you get out of that? I had a very kind woman who took me to lunch, black woman, one of the few black women producers there, called me up, took me to lunch, and she said, I know what's happening to you. I see what's happening to you. So you have a year and a half. What are we going to do to try to help that be a year and a half that's, that's going to be worthwhile? You just tell, she said, tell me everything. I'm going to tell you where I see you making mistakes, and then we're going to figure this out. What are we going to do? What a great thing to have. What a mentor. She was amazing. She worked at CBS Sunday morning. And I went and I pitched her one of the stories that they had turned me down for at CBS News, all the other platforms. It was Lilith Fair. (laughs) Mm. And they had all turned me down for Lilith Fair. They didn't understand it. And she liked the pitch. And she said, what else do you have? And I had some more. And then she said, let's go to lunch after that. After I showed her everything. Once she realized like, oh, this this person does have good ideas. There's just, it's just going south for her badly. 
So it was a combination of me just trying to find somebody to listen and then somebody who actually listened and then helped me out a lot. Right. So right now you're doing a two-hour daily radio show. And I know you have researchers, but how do you stay engaged on so many topics? There's so much to be up on. There's a bunch of different things. In our pitch meetings, I have a rule. Any segment that gets on our show, somebody's got to be psyched about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to be excited about it or else who else is going to, why would we ask people to listen? And you, you guys know from media that sometimes you'll get a pitch across a desk and somebody like, Oh, we have to do person X, Y, and Z. It's what my, an an editor I worked with called that the dull, but worthy story. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's sometimes not even that worthy. Sometimes it's something like, and this is, I'm not meaning to throw this at him, but Malcolm Gladwell is going to find somewhere to be. (laughs) Unless his podcast is blowing my mind and it might, I don't need, you know, like why? Because it's Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell? Because everybody's doing it. Right. <laughs> we don't have to. I'm like, we don't have to do that. We don't. What's your favorite kind of story to report? A report or to have on the show? There's, those are very, those are different. Um, to report out. I like stories that are about cultures, subcultures. I think those are really interesting to report out because then you actually get to go see a different part of the world that you never knew existed, but has its whole entire, whole entire ecosystem to itself. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by those kind of stories. Like what's an example? Um, But my book junk I did for that book, went to five different cities and rode along with five different junk removal companies. Hmm. This whole junk removal culture is a whole subculture. Wow. In this country. To me, that was fascinating. Um, I was really jealous that you got to go behind the scenes on the Antiques Roadshow. Oh, yeah. Living the dream. <laughs> that was hard to get the pass to. They were like, they're very proprietary. They're very secret. They're very close to the vest on the Roadshow. Uh, what was the best part of like being behind the scenes? I need to know. Oh, my gosh. Watching people's, this is so mean of me. But watching people's face fall when they found out their stuff wasn't worth anything. Oh. <laughs> the snotty ones. Only the snotty ones. Right. The ones who were sure they had something. So sure. So arrogant. Had a whole backstory for it. Mm. I have a game that I play because people always say wow to everything that the experts say. So the experts give all this information. The participant just keeps saying wow, wow, wow. So I have to try to yell wow faster than they can say wow. <laughs> Oh, that's so I thought you were going to say you took a shot every time somebody said, wow, but no. that's just <laughs> impossible. Um, who have you interviewed where you've been like, I can die now. My life is complete. Ooh, who did I interview? Where I just got really excited about. I get really lucky. I've been really, really, really lucky on the serious end of things. Um, I got a really long interview with Madeline Albright. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool because you're sitting across from somebody who's seen so much, been through so much personally with her family, has given so much to the country, is so smart. Just somebody you admire. And even though you have to ask the difficult questions, I, you just, I just admire her intellect. So that was pretty cool. On the gooey end, there is nobody handsomer than Jake Gyllenhaal. Really? <laughs> nobody. I didn't even know it. Really? And he's goofy. 
which is even better. I can see uh, that. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, he it was funny. He was really late for the interview and it was live and I was interviewing the playwright and he kind of came in like all flustered. The subway had been wrong or everything. And uh, he was just so genuinely goofy and funny and and I didn't kind of expect it. And then I just had this moment, this gagong moment, like, he's the handsomest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. Oh my God. And then I found out he produced Slave Play, his company. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so then he's this, and he's like all politically active. I was like, oh, you're not, you're not fair. <laughs> <laughs> but also being funny is so attractive. It is. I mean, you've seen him on interviews, especially during quarantine. I think he was tremendously bored. Um, look up his Colbert interview. It's one of the funnier things you've seen in a while. Oh, good. Oh, I will. Who's your dream interview? I think Michelle Obama after a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect answer. It is. Um, I want to circle back to your book on stuff because I, <laughs> I am... Uh, I felt like that would have been a book that I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, like as you did it. Um, did you get to the bottom of why we hang on to so much crap? There's a couple things. One is you can't, one, we can't help it. Like the, it's sort of stacked against us, the consumer culture of the United States. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's more and more and more, more and more opportunities, planned obsolescence, it's our sort of natural inclination that if we touch something, we get ownership on it. They call it the haptic response. So that's why they always want you to feel the leather couch, feel the sweater. Mm-hmm. They know for a certain part of the population, it's already ownership once you touch it. Right. Um, it's all the dopamine hits. It's like, it's just, we, it's stacked against us to not have stuff right now. The other part about it is it's all about emotional connection to a thing. The, one of the stories I tell in the book is older woman, garage is spotless in Chicago. She's spry. She's dancing around. She's like, take this, this. She's practically cleaned it out for the junk guy. And we're just like putting stuff in the truck so easily. And then there's this old sort of stained mattress in the corner. And he goes, he goes, okay, I'll grab that. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. That's for my, that's my daughter's from when she was little. That's going to be for my granddaughter. Oh, oh no. <sighs> so this woman who had a sense about everything else, that mattress was not junk to her. Yeah, because it was the memory of her child, of her child, and her hope for grandchildren, and it all comes down to whatever emotion we've put on the thing, which is why you really, if you really truly want to get rid of anything, you have to have somebody else help you do it. Isn't that the truth? Mm. They literally have to be. They have to hold it away from you. Don't go touch it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a very important thing. Don't touch it if you really truly want to try to clean stuff out. And you have to have someone there with no emotional attachment to whatever it is. Oh, you can't even touch it once you own it. I thought you meant like in a store that if you touch something, you will naturally bring it home. You will bring it home, but don't touch it again. If you touch it, you're you're out of luck. Oh, wow. So have you become really good at triaging your own stuff or do you also need somebody? I was good for a little while. I need (laughs) to have an intervention right now. (laughs) My main areas are great. I do just have this one basement room and it's the basement room my parents had, the same thing. I need a, I need a little help. I've been actually thinking about it because I think I've gotten it down to as far as I can do it, which is pretty good for where I was started. But no, in my real life, I have been much more 
aware of, do I really need that? Do I really want that? I'm much more aware of it with clothing, with, I've become very, very tuned into what I want and need. I try to follow the rule of one thing in, one thing out. It's a great rule. Yep. It's a good one. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. I don't want to ask if you've faced discrimination, but how have you overcome some of the discrimination you've surely faced? I followed a rule my dad, something my dad told me. Okay, so my dad was born in 1929. 
and he was in the Merchant Marines, and he went to Harvard Business School and graduated before Brown versus Board of Education. Wow. You can imagine what he went through. One time he said to me, you know, you're not going to get the opportunities that other people are going to get. Just understand that and know that it doesn't have anything to do with you. So what we need to do is look for opportunities in different places. Everybody can take an obvious winning proposition and make it a winner. If you can take something that's less attractive, maybe a bit of a loser, and make it work, that's a way in. People will notice that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really interesting. And so I have kept my eye on opportunities like that, especially early in my career. Mm-hmm. When I was at MTV, I really wanted to be go from being like a desk assistant to being a producer, and I just couldn't get any traction anywhere. And they canceled the show, and it was going to be off. It was going off the air in like two or three months, and people were bailing on it. And I was like, "I'll produce it." Mm-hmm. So my mind, it was like, "I'm going to show them what a good producer I am." The show's already going to die, so I can't kill it. So let me just wow them for the next three months with my skills. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And the people are like, you know, too bad. Sure, she's a really good producer. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've, I have often looked for those opportunities. Um, the ones that just don't seem like right on the surface that they would be the big, big thing that would be great. I mean, even the idea that MTV would cover politics now seems like, well, of course that's great. In the beginning, nobody wanted to do that. Right? I remember that it seemed counterintuitive. It was like a skunk on the table. People were like, no. Um, Well, this reminds me of something that um, I once reported a story about women in the rap music industry. This was in the 90s. And it turns out there were a great number of women in very powerful positions in the rap music industry because men weren't interested in those jobs. They didn't see the potential for the music. I 100%. I think that's why there are a lot of women in public media, to be frank. Nobody makes as much money in public media as you do in commercial media. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. And before times, before 2000, it maybe wasn't seen as, as, a, um, as high profile a career as it is maybe now. Right. Mm-hmm. It still doesn't get paid. So pay still, the pay differential is still huge. But I think the, the idea of how people think about public media journalists, they, they, I think they are held in higher esteem than commercial journalists in many ways. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's just I, I looked for opportunities that didn't seem like obvious wins and then tried to make them wins. You, you once did an interview with a white supremacist who refused to look you in the face during the interview. How did you get through that? Tom Metzger. Well, we talked about it with the camera crew because we, we knew this was going to be bizarre. And he just kept trying to talk to the cameraman. Hmm. And so what we did is we set one camera up so it would get a two shot of the both of us, even though, and the cameraman was saying, she's asking the questions. He's like, but I don't have to look at her. <laughs> oh. oh, it was like that. Oh my God. But it was also very exposing because it became clear what he was doing with the two camera shot and then the one camera shot straight on. So in many ways, that's a way in which television was able to tell the story huh. as well as the content of it all. And we, it's so funny, we were just, I was just talking to somebody about this because we were, he made us do it outside in a park. And I remember afterward talking to the cameraman and saying, we weren't alone. There were a lot of people out there. And he's like, totally, there were, there, his people were around. Oh, Because wow. it was a weird vibe. 
Oh, creepy. It was very creepy. And I just kept it very straight. Didn't, I wasn't trying to make news. I wasn't trying to bait him. I just, and he saw the opportunity to talk to young people. He got it. Right. So you knew in advance that he wasn't going to look at you. I didn't know how it was going to go. Actually, I didn't. I thought he maybe would try to go at me. He just wanted nothing to do with me. But that is just, that just takes so much like nerve in the good way. Like Tally and I are both Jewish. I can't imagine talking to a white supremacist or a Nazi, putting, just putting myself in that position. Yeah, I just, you know, I just, he has no hold over me. Yeah. Right. That's great, you old man. What are you going to do? Hmm. <laughs> I saw a clip of you speaking a few years ago where you said, do people ever discuss race relations? Do you think people are talking about it for real now? Yes, I think people are talking about it who don't normally don't talk about it. And that's important. You know, I think black families talk about race relations from the jump. Mm. You just have those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like... You know, there's lots of, lots of jokes like, ooh, white people are mad now. Something's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's some truth. That I think people are having really genuine conversations. Uh, and it's so heartening. You know, I have a really wide age range on my show. And the Gen Zers, I'm so into them. They're just, they have all of the sort of moxie of millennials. Tally, are you a millennial? No. I don't think so. Okay, I'm not going to you. They have the moxie of millennials without the self-entitlement. Right. And I and so that sense of like, oh, here's something bad that's difficult to talk about. I want to talk about it. And I want to advocate for somebody else. I love that about Gen Z people. Mm -hmm. They're Kim. Kim was They're worried about them the other day. She was saying she didn't think they were engaged enough. So... I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's the public media ones are. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we, it could be a selecting group I'm dealing with. But um, no, I think people are definitely having more and more substantial conversations. I think if they're not, I think people are having conversations knowing that one conversation doesn't get it done. Right. Like one act doesn't mean like, okay, now I'm on the right side of it and I can forget about it. Well, we were talking the other day about abortion rights. And how, and how I'm surprised that I don't see young kids in the streets about that. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, take it or leave what Diane Feinstein did in the Judiciary Committee, excuse me. When Diane Feinstein started talking about what it was like when she was in college, I thought it was very useful. And I was surprised that didn't get more play about girl when she was at Stanford and how girls used to go to Mexico and what that really meant. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's sort of this, I don't know if it's a saying, but if you haven't had to fight for something, you don't realize that you have to fight for it. Right. And if you're, if you're a certain age, you just never really had to think about it. It was always there. Um, what is it like for you right now to be a woman over 40 working in media? We've been following the case of the NY1 anchorwoman, Roma Torre and her colleagues who are suing NY1 for moving them out of primetime spots and giving them shittier dressing rooms as they got older. I know you're in radio now, but have you faced some of that? It's interesting um, because I still do a little, I do a little TV for PBS still. I, um, I thought it was amazing that I got this job at WNYC. Hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, a woman over 50 is about to get two hours of live radio on the country's largest public radio station. Wow. Hmm. 
I, that's huge. I don't, you know, that opportunity wasn't necessarily going to come around. Um, I give them a lot of credit for seeing that experience mattered and matters uh, and that life experience matters. I can remember when I started putting my toe back into trying to get a full-time gig, I went and I interviewed with a woman who was much younger than I, I was. And she couldn't get over that. I didn't have a lot of Twitter followers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything came back to that. And I was like, well, you know, when Twitter started, I was doing hospice with my dad. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't, and I had a baby. Like I didn't have a hell of a lot of tween time for hot takes. Right. You know? And so I sort of was a little bit out of the, that sort of part of media between 2009 and 2013. So when people were really, you know, seriously building these big Twitter followers, so I just didn't have one. Hmm. And she could not get past it. She just like didn't even want to deal with me on another. And I thought, this is really stupid because I have a <laughs> lot of experience. But this is a real thing, I guess, you know. It hits women in all different ways. I didn't get married until I was 40. And that was a weird thing. Like, why aren't you married? Aren't you going to have kids? If you want to do morning TV, you got to have some children. Or else, you know, we'll look at you funny. That was a big thing. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big thing. So, so basically people only want moms to be on their morning shows. That's an unspoken thing in morning TV. Yeah. Yeah, the only one who didn't, I guess, was Hoda, and now she does. Yeah, she does. Tamron didn't have kids, and that was always sort of a weird thing. Hmm. Yeah, they want you to be, you know, they won't say it. They can't say it, but it's sort of a subtext. Interesting. even know that, yeah. But the, yeah, the women over 50 thing, I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome that I got this gig. It is awesome. I mean, we talk a lot on this show about the the dichotomy between experience and newness and how many times newness just wins out for no good reason. Oh, yeah. You know, I think sometimes when I say to the staff, like my gut's telling me no on something or my gut's telling me. And one of the younger members, really smart, started to push back. I said, no, my gut is experience meets instinct. <laughs> <laughs> okay so trust it <laughs> i have a lot of experience and my instincts are good because they've got me to the point where i have a lot of experience so that's when i say my gut is telling me no that's just a shorter way of saying what i just said mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you trust yourself too right and you and you do have you know you get experience you get instincts if you see if a problem comes down the pike you've seen it before yeah yeah mm-hmm that's what I mean by trust yourself is that you know that you your judgment is probably right. And you've seen some you've seen some bad stuff, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic I had a couple of people on my staff who were so talented but they'd never been through any sort of global emergency before. And I realized I was sort of like, "Hey, we got to do this, this and this." And I had to stop and say I said, "You know, remember on 9/11 when we did this?" And one of them raised their hand and said, "I was 11 years old." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." So now I understand why you're, you're freaked out. Mm-hmm. I can deal with that. But now I have to like explain to you, this is how we get through a crisis. This is what we do. One good thing I do think about having older women in roles is you can really be a leader. I've really tried to be a leader. I have several very good young women on my staff. And I'm really trying to be a good example for them mm-hmm. and really try to guide them. I've tried to do that on the course of my career. 
just, you know, sort of what that woman did for me, I've tried to do for other people mm-hmm. along the way. That's a really gratifying thing about being a lady with experience. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> um, we've had this question at the end of our show that has caused a lot of grief. Um, what is a life hack or a thing that helps you get it all done? And it could be a beauty product or it could be just a life recommendation. Oh, I'll take these. I love these things when I hear that. Um, this may really appeal to women of a certain age <laughs> is I take a picture of anything I need to remember to do. Yes. Oh, my God. That's a good idea. <laughs> Everything. Anything. Like, even if it's like, get more milk. Someone will just take a picture of the milk in the refrigerator. I'm like, oh, yeah, milk. <laughs> I'll take a picture of... Yeah, of, of anything I need to come back to, especially if it's happening while there's other, like while my son's asking for homework and I'm trying to figure out the Zoom and then I realize, oh, I got to do this thing. I'll just take a picture of it. Oh, so then you do go through your pictures your, at like, the end of the day. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you ever take pictures of your parking spot? <laughs> I don't I'm drive d- that much, so no, but I have taken pictures. I mean, seriously, it's everything. There's just pictures of... It might even just be, you know, I know it seems to be a dog to the groomer. I might just take a picture of like, you know, his tail or something like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just anything that remind me at the end of the day to put something on my to-do list or that I've got to do. So I take pictures. My camera roll is hilarious. That is genius. <laughs> That's actually really brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Do you want us to call out your Twitter handle so that you can get more Twitter followers? Sounds like you need it. <laughs> In case I have to go back to that chick ever again. <laughs> It's amazing. It's at Allison Stewart. Is there anywhere else you want people to follow you? You can go to my show's Twitter, which is actually pretty great, at all of it WNYC and at all of it WNYC Instagram, because we have this amazing book club and that's where we host our book club. We have this amazing get lit with all of it book club and we've made book club into a party. And the way we've described it is a night out in. It's super yeah. fun. I mean, somehow we've managed to make books into a party. I don't know, but it's really <laughs> how, but we, it's, it's a blast. Thanks so much for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 